we are this morning going through Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 10. I'll be using the uh, NIV version, uh, a bit of an older one than even what I think is on the screen. So if it's not jiving with what you're seeing in your version, uh, that's why. Um, what we've done so far, uh, we've gone a couple of weeks where uh, Paul has talked about uh, our identity being found in Jesus. Uh, he, Jesus has adopted us, uh, made us his children. And then last week we talked about with that identity comes power and comes authority. And it's the same power that raises Jesus from the dead. And so when we're adopted as children of God, princes and princes of the most heavenly high king, um, it's not like we have this, this authority, this power, that's like a little firecracker that goes pop. I mean, this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is a big, full dynamite power that's going on that uh, we have access to. So as we look at Ephesians 1, it, in the way that we've presented it, in some ways it echoes actually Genesis chapter 1, in that it's about how we're created to be in perfect relationship with God. He chose us to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. We were created good and perfect and holy because God is good and perfect and holy, and we are made in his image as a good and perfect and holy people. Uh, we could have relationship with God. One author says it this way. Uh, we were made in God's image to live as children in his family, aware of his presence, rejoicing in his direction. Freedom was given, and with it, a warning that involved the possibility of disobedience. And that disobedience would lead to death. So I think God had a couple of choices uh, here. His first choice was he could have made us robots. He could have programmed us, hardwired us to only worship him. No choices, just solid, yes, Lord, we worship you. And no disobedience, no choice. He could have done it. He ended up choosing to give us free will. He ended up choosing to give us a choice as to whether or not we want to worship him. And with that comes this possibility of disobedience. He took, the, he took that risk. The consequence for disobedience is death. Not physical death. Adam and Eve didn't, you know, as soon as they ate the fruit or whatever, keel over and physically die. No, they kept going. But what's talked about here is spiritual death. Spiritual death is a separation from God in that relationship. That relationship uh, no longer existed. I'll try to connect with the dog people. Didn't go over in the first service. Try it again. Let's see how it goes. So you got a cute little puppy that you just love and you hold and you just... This wonderful puppy. It's beautiful, and you just snuggle with it, and all these, whatever. I, I'm not a dog person. <laughs> whatever dog people do with their puppies. So then you're like, I want to give my dog this freedom. And you say, yeah, go outside and play. And so your little puppy runs around outside and plays, and plays in the mud. And it just so happens that you newly renovated your house with white carpet. And you have this perfectly white carpet inside. And you have this muddy puppy the relationship is now severed with the puppy, I hope. I hope that the puppy ends up staying outside or needs to be cleaned before it can come in. And we'll end up talking about the cleansing process. I don't know if it's going to work for you, but we'll try it again here. And Yeah. So anyways, that leads us, uh, that's the background, and that leads us into uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, 1 to 10. Let's read these verses uh, together either in your Bible or on your phone or up on the screen, uh, whatever it is. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 to 10. 
As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raises us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Today I'm going to divide this up uh, into three parts. Um, first, we're going to look at, at death, dead, um, verses 1 to 3, sin. Uh, second, we're going to look at grace in uh, verses uh, 4 to 9-ish. And then third, we're going to look to, at life, or coming alive uh, in verse 10 and what that all looks like. So, continuing on from, from chapter 1 and, and the, the creation of how we're perfectly made, then sin enters the world. And in, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul makes it pretty clear for three verses, he kind of just keeps going on and on about making sure that his audience realizes that they're sinners. Paul is speaking to both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, The Jews were still learning uh, that following the Old Testament laws wasn't enough to be saved. The Jews thought that because they were Jews, they were kind of born into the salvation, this relationship with God through their Jewish history. And, And Paul makes sure to point out that all of us, everyone like the rest, like the Gentiles, All the Jews, all the Gentiles were dead. Past tense. He's speaking to the church. Because of their transgressions and their sins. So transgression, not a word that we use uh, all that often uh, anymore. Uh, Sin, uh, another word that in our society isn't uh, totally recognized either. Um, Transgression is meaning slipping off the path. I'm a hiker. I like going hiking. And picture the person kind of just slipping, kind of tripping, kind of going off the direction. They're supposed to be going over here, and they kind of slip, and they end up going down this road over here. Sin, similar, uh, means is an, is an archery term. Sin was actually, you missed the mark. You sinned. You didn't hit the bullseye. You, nice shot, but you, you missed. You, you didn't hit your target. You didn't actually do what you were supposed to do. It was off. So that's what sin uh, transgression is meaning. So throughout Paul's writing... Uh, in other books as well, he's, he's very clear that all have sinned. No one has lived a perfect life. And the only way to be in relationship with a perfect God is to live a perfect life, is to be perfect. So Adam and Eve started with a perfect relationship with God in the garden. But since then, since they sinned, they were severed, the, the, the spiritual death occurred. We don't have, none of us is, is perfect. No one ends up living a sinless life. Humanity started perfect, made in the image of God, but have missed the mark. They've slipped off the path, or they uh, played in the mud. 
Uh, for those of you that have gone through our Alpha program, uh, verses 2 and 3 might be familiar to you. Uh, it, Paul talks about uh, the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of air. Um, and if you've been through Alpha, the, the guy who does some of the, the discussion there, is, his name is Nicky uh, Gumbel, he ends up uh, talking about how evil is found in our world as a triple alliance. He talks about this triple alliance of evil. The enemy around us is the world, the enemy within us, the self, and the enemy above us, the devil. The devil's hard for people these days to believe in. Uh, in our society, it's just it's a tough concept to get our mind around. How does that work? Um, and yet, we have to, when we look at through scripture, we see that even Jesus believed in the devil. Uh, he even interacted with the devil uh, when, he was, when he was tempted. And Paul, it, 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 that's who Paul is also referring to in this verse. Uh, when he talks about the kingdom of the, the ruler of the air, uh, is, is the devil. We can't get into all the, the details of that right now. Uh, one great place to get into some of those discussions is the Alpha program. And uh, I'll just point out that uh, sometime along this, this spring, no dates have been set, we'll be doing a couple of, I'm going to call them Taste Alpha, like just a couple of sessions where you can come and just see what this Alpha program is all about. It's very discussion-based. It's very basic Christianity 101, just to kind of, okay, what is... What, is Christian, what do Christians believe about the resurrection? What do Christians believe about evil? Uh, and we'll just do a, a couple of those, and you can come and just check them out and have some discussion, and Alpha always has good food. So that, that'll be coming up uh, sometime in the, uh, in the spring. If you want to know more about that, if that sounds interesting to you, to have some discussion on the basics of Christian faith, send me an email, and I can just uh, connect you with, let you know when, that, when that's coming. So if you look at the first three verses of chapter 2, Summed up, it's that everyone has sinned, including you and I. This isn't just the early church. Uh, and deserves, we deserve spiritual death. And that comes, we're separated from relationship with the perfect and the holy God. And so I think there's some lessons here for us as, as a church to, uh, to pick up on uh, these days. Uh, we're in a world, we're in a time where uh, we're considered awesome. Uh, everyone's awesome. Everyone gets a participation ribbon. Uh, my daughter was, is not a long jumper by any stretch of the imagination. She comes home one day from her school thing with a first place long jumping ribbon. Congratulations, Sophia. Uh, Sophia is a little on the shorter side, and, and I mean, she's not like a huge jumper. But I am shocked. First place long jumper in my family. This is wonderful. I don't, I don't believe it for a second. So what ends up happening is, I, after a little bit of research, is that if you jump past that line, you get a first place ribbon. Everyone in the class can jump past the first place line. And they all get the first place ribbon. Drove me as a pastor nuts. Like, that is just not teaching my kids. Like, what? They get a first place ribbon just for jumping past the line? I'm sorry. That is not, something's not right there. They are being told that they are just this awesome. And it's like, no, you didn't. Like, anyways, that's a whole other thing. Anyway, I think it's a healthy corrective. For us in our society to hear that uh, we are sinful, uh, we are depraved, and we need to be rescued. Uh, king David, greatest king of Israel, power, wealth, amazing following of, uh, uh, amazing leader of, of the Jews, uh, writes this, Psalm 70, yet I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God, you are my help and my deliverer. I think that's a, a mentality and attitude that we need to 
to adopt in, in our society today. Um, I think it's also good for church people uh, to also remember that we are just as sinful uh, as the world. It's, yes, it's true that we are, uh, have accepted Christ's grace, we are saved, uh, and we know that we are still being saved. But I think there's, we need to also realize that uh, we are still sinful. So up here, there's a, there's a chart. Um, we were saved in the past. We're justified. We're made right with God at, at our conversion. That happened sometime in, in the past, whenever we accepted Christ. Uh, and at that point, we were being saved from the penalty of death. We're, we are now saved. The penalty of death no longer rules over us. We have, have, are brought to life. Then there's this whole long up and down process of the, the life of a Christian. Uh, we are being sanctified. We are being made holy. And that continues on until, until we die. Uh, in this process of, of, our, of, our, of our faith, we are being saved from the power of sin. And then finally, uh, when Christ returns, we will, will be saved, we'll be glorified, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. But we are still within the presence of sin, as we all know, uh, in, our, in our world. I think it's important that uh, we acknowledge that we are, are saved, that we are in this process of sanctification. We are in this process of God making us holy. Um, but let's make sure that we don't start to judge or to rank sins. Uh, we can very easily return to the mentality of the, the Jews who thought they were saved by the, the law or look, and kind of look down our, our noses at the modern-day Gentiles. Thank God that we're not like those sinners and if that's our posture, I think that's, that's a place to, to, uh, to repent of um, and uh, allow the process and, and transformation of Jesus to come alive within us, um, confessing our own judgmentalness and uh, repent of our own sinfulness in, in, uh, in how we compare with others. Uh, if you're in a, a small group, uh, we have small groups that do sermon discussions uh, each week. This is going to be one of the exercises that, that's in there. And what I'm going to suggest is that you... you Write down a whole bunch of sins, whatever. Pick your own sins and write down a whole list of them. And then rank them. Worst to not so bad. So I don't know, maybe you start with murder. Kind of a bad one. And you end up with something else. And then you take a look at, okay, so you have a list of 10 or 15 or 20 or whatever sins you decide. And then you go, okay, so where am I on this list? Okay, well, like, well, like some of you will go, oh, I, I commit the worst sins. They're up here. Some of you go, well, I commit the really little sins. Not really, I'm not that bad. It doesn't really matter where you come out on the chart. Because the chart, the exercise here is to realize that no matter how we rank sins, in God's eyes, sin is sin. It's not, it's not this, this, like, oh, well, this is worse. That person's worse because they committed a worse sin. And I think it's helpful for the church to end up realizing that one sin isn't worse than the other. Because sometimes we look at each other and go, yeah, well, at least I don't sin like them. I think that needs to change significantly in the life of the church. I think when, when we look at, you know, whatever it is, pick murder, um, you know, yes, the consequences, the earthly consequences are going to be quite a bit more significant than a little white lie. Um, it, it probably more, some, some sins have far more earthly consequences um, than maybe we just have a greedy spirit. So maybe there isn't a whole lot of consequences here on earth. To God, sin is sin. And, and it doesn't matter if it's just kind of a greediness, a kind of selfishness, or if it's murder, it, it's sin, it's wrong. And we need to realize that in our, in our life, one sin isn't worse than, than the other. And it's just a, an exercise to, to discuss in your small group through this week. Uh, let's continue on to the second uh, part of this. Uh, like I said, Paul spends the first three verses 
uh, explaining that we are all sinners, and different commentators think he's just trying to drag this out to really illustrate the point. Kind of like I'm doing, I'm talking a lot about sin just to start, just to drive home the point that we're all sinners. So that's how Paul kind of starts this second chapter here, and, and kind of how I, why I wanted to start just drilling home, we're sinful, okay? And then, he goes, continues on, and the first word of verse 4 changes everything. But. But God, who is rich in mercy. But God, because of his love. But God, who made us alive in Christ. But God steps in to this sinful situation and changes everything. You may say that God has a big butt. It was intentional. Those of you with, grade eight, with eight-year-old humor. I have, I, I have an eight-year-old in my family. He, he was so pumped when I told him the, mess, the, the sermon was going to be called God Has a Big Butt. He just loved it. My wife, not so happy. <laughs> Anyways, we'll keep going. If you look through Scripture, God's big butt continually gets in the way. Joseph's brothers try to kill him. But God makes him second in command in Egypt. Israel is trapped by the Red Sea, but God parts the sea and they walk across on dry land. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, but God closes the mouths of lions. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, but God steps in and they are not burned. The list goes on and on and on. Again, if you're in a sermon discussion group this week, that's your exercise for you, is to list as many but gods as you possibly can throughout Scripture. And maybe you even dip into your own life. But I, I, was, I was planning to be a camp director in BC, but God stepped in and I'm a pastor on the prairies. Maybe you have some of those stories. Maybe what about our church? What are the but gods in our church life? And I challenge you in your small group uh, to, this week to, to discuss those things. It, it's a great exercise. If you want to be reminded of the faithfulness of God and how God performs some absolutely miraculous things throughout history, just just list them. Just keep going down the list. Have a competition in your small group or whatever it may be of who can list the most but gods. And, and uh, I think it's a great reminder of God's faithfulness to us. So, but God made us alive in Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. So here Paul is saying, you are sinful. The consequence of sin is death, spiritual death. Separation from God. You're the muddy puppy that's left outside. But God made you alive. You were dead, now you're alive. You were the muddy puppy, but now you can come into the house because you've been washed clean. And this is the image that we celebrate at baptism. It's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ and what he does in us. We come alive, we're transformed, we're reborn, we're recreated, we're new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. Baptism sessions, like Bruce said, they're starting next week. So even if today is your first time where the light bulb goes on and you go, oh yeah, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus to save me, this is a great time to get into the tank. The sooner, closer to your moment of conversion that happens, the better. Uh, Come join me. Uh, Let's get into the tank, get wet, get you baptized. It's a public statement of following Christ. And I'd love to talk to you more about that. Uh, Verse 6, we are seated in Christ in the heavenly realm, kind of a reference back to our identity adoption that we talked about the the first week. Um, Why is he doing this? Why God's grace? Verse 7, 
in order to show the incomparable riches of his grace. For it is by grace you have been saved, not faith, not from yourself, not by human effort. It was a total gift. We don't receive grace because we are good. We receive grace because God is good. Grace is, a, is kind of a hard thing for us to understand because it's an absolute gift and we live in a transactional society that just doesn't really do well with understanding complete, amazing gifts. Um, if you're involved with youth, uh, if you're a, a camp person, this might sound familiar. Um, it's an analogy that we use to kind of uh, illustrate what grace is and it's, it's by comparing it with justice and mercy. So the situation is, Hypothetically, sure this has never happened to any of you, but it's a great example for 16-year-old boys. So 16-year-old boy has his license and ends up speeding, and the police officer pulls him over, and this isn't just a normal one. This is a $1,000 speeding ticket. Okay, This is, this is a big one. This was, this was a 16-year-old really learning a lesson here. I don't know if anyone can relate to this analogy yet. Now, here's what happens. Justice is getting what you deserve. You speed, you get a ticket. There you go. That's justice. You get what you deserve. Mercy is you don't get what you deserve. So you, de- you really deserve the ticket. You know you were speeding. You know you were caught. But you experience mercy from this police officer. And he ends up letting you go, uh, give a warning or whatever it is. But you're, you're, you don't have to free. So you don't get what you deserve. The third one is grace. And grace is you get what you don't deserve. Kind of a, a semantic twist here. But you get what you don't deserve. In this scenario, the policeman pulls you over. You were speeding. The policeman pulls you over, gives you a ticket for 1000 bucks. And you get what you don't deserve. He pulls out a thousand bucks and goes, here you go, this is how you can pay it off. The policeman takes on the debt. That's the image of Christ. That's the image of grace. Getting what you do not deserve. An absolute, total gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't offer to wash the policeman's car to have, to, so that the policeman will pay off your ticket. That's a bribe. That's a deal. Ephesians is clear that this has nothing to do with you. It's a total gift. It's not on your own effort. It's not from your own work. It is the gift of God. We don't receive grace because we are good. We receive grace because God is good. We'll continue on here. Because of God's grace, we come alive. Verse, verse 10 talks about, I'm going to transition here in a minute. I'm going to go on a little tangent, though. It talks about we are God's workmanship. And I just want to pause and touch on this word workmanship, because it's different than the word uh, works, just by, by the things that we do. This workmanship word is actually a work of art. It's the root word for the word poetry. We are God's uh, masterpiece. We are God's beautifully created work of art. His beautiful poem. So if you're a person right now that's just struggling to feel good about yourself, of just like, oh, I'm just uh, not good enough. This single word here of God's workmanship, 
hopefully it will be a reminder to you that God sees the way God sees you. A beautiful and priceless work of art that every single one of you are because of what Christ has done. Um, we are uh, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, different than workmanship. But uh, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God recreated us. God transformed us by his grace. Uh, some of you know that I use an image of going from a beggar to a prince. We no longer eat out of garbage cans. We eat at fine tables. And that's what God does in us. We go from sinner to saint. We, we go from, from this beggar street, just not having a place, not having an identity, to this royalty found in Christ alone. That's how we've been newly created in Christ. And now, we need to live. We need to learn to live the process of sanctification. We need to learn to live like princes, doing the work that Christ created in advance for us to do. Live the life of Christ. So what is the good work that God has created for each of us to do? To answer this, I'll, just, I'll, I'll comment on the next line. That the part that, is, is, that shows us is that God created in advance for us to do. What is, what is he meaning? So I'm going to show you this picture here, the, the, the vine, the, the, the branch, the fruit. And let's say that Christ is, is the, the branch right down the middle there, okay? He's, he's the, the source of it all. He's that, that middle, strong uh, branch. And out of that branch, out of his grace, we come alive. So you see the little buds that are sticking off and the other branches that come out? So the branch will produce other branches that will produce good fruit. And it's set, it's predetermined, it's, it's created in advance to know what the fruit will be. So if it happens to be an apple tree, the fruit that will be produced, you know in advance is going to be an apple. That's what the tree is. And so for us, the branch will produce the, tr- the fruit of the tree. If it's a good tree, it'll produce good fruit. The fruit is determined in advance by the type of the tree. The works are determined in advance of, of, by God, who we grow out of. So the works of the branches, the, those of us who follow Christ, are set by the actual branch. So what is it? What is the, the fruit that comes? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. The, the Jesus tree produces those things. It's determined in advance. That those are the things that we will do if we are produced coming out of that branch. That's what we are, are created in advance to do. So those of us, like some, some there like at the bottom, there's these little buds that are just kind of learning, just growing out of God's grace, like the branch didn't, like those little branches didn't like decide, I did it all on my own. I've just produced myself and I'm producing my own fruit and away I go. No, they recognize that they are, they come out of that main center branch. They come out of Christ. And some are just starting. Some are just, just starting to bud out. Some of them are already producing some beautiful, amazing fruit already. They all come out of the same vine. They all come out of Christ. So the, the Jesus tree produces compassion to widows, to orphans. Those who, who come out of, of the branch of, of, of Jesus, 
take care of the kid who can't afford a lunch. They pay the cell phone of the struggling student. They help the new family in, uh, to Canada to get settled. They show up this afternoon at 4 o'clock at the MCC building to pack relief supplies. Hint, hint. Those are, those are the things that, the, the fruit that naturally is produced in advance. God prepared in advance. Those are the things that we as believers are to do out of God's grace. Because God has shown us this grace, the branch doesn't get to say, I, get, I did it all on my own. I'm totally separate from the vine. Look how amazing I am. Look what an amazing branch I am. It recognizes that it's only because of the vine that the branch exists. Brett Morales, come on up here. Come on. Yeah, I called you. There we go. I have a present for you, Brett. Here you go. Would you like it? I love it. There you go. So, great analogy here. We're not just giving Brett presents. Okay? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And what I would love to say, to really illustrate this point of grace, what should be in there, I'm just preparing you, is a new car. Like, it should be like, yeah, we're just passing out a car this morning at church. A new car! And, like, wouldn't that be, like, because grace should be blowing your mind wonderful, right? And, and... What Albrecht did, like, he was just chosen, and all you did is you accepted, right? You just accepted the gift, which is what we do with grace. This, is going, this isn't just a gift. Good, the slide's up there. You realize that this is an analogy. Okay, I'm not just... Okay, so what does Brett do? What's next? Okay, come over here so that we... See. These guys want to see, too. Sorry, Bob. There we go. Okay, so what's next? When you get a present, what do you do? You open it. Right. You open it, and you find that it's... Fruit, I, I didn't want to just give you an apple, so it's like sour cherry blasters. Uh, try, try to fit the fruit analogy in and yeah. stuff like that. So, so first of all, he receives it. That's, it was just, he was chosen. He was just, all he had to do was just by faith, just be like, yeah, I'll accept that. Then open it and get to learn what it is and explore it and kind of understand a little bit better. And then what do you do? That's right. You enjoy it. You enjoy God's grace. And finally... <laughs> You share it. Thanks, man. Go share them with your friends. Take care. A simple example. Good job, Brett. It's going to be hard to preach and keep going. A simple example of what God's grace is. It's an absolute gift that we just simply accept by faith. We open it. We explore it. We enjoy it. We go, wow, God, this is amazing. Thank you. And we take it to our friends and we share it with them. I'm going to call the worship team up, and uh, we are going to praise God for his grace, for what he alone has done in us as an absolute gift to each one of us, to save us from that separation, that spiritual death, and bring us alive, to produce this amazing fruit, this amazing, uh, we're a workmanship of of what he has done. And uh, so let's continue to praise him. Let's pray first. God, you are good. We praise you. We thank you for this gift of your grace that you have given to us. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you that you uh, took the initiative to die on the cross so that we are made right with you as an act of grace. God, we praise you and we thank you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.